welcome to another MLEX podcast. I'm James Panicki, MLEX's Australasian Managing Editor, coming to you from Melbourne, Australia. Great to have your company. Now, as listeners and subscribers know only too well, our antitrust beat usually involves the regulation of big, grey, faceless companies. It's not often that we get to cover the human element in antitrust stories, but it does happen. For example, when large corporations reach agreements not to poach each other's staff, how do things pan out? The company's logic for engaging in no-poach agreements is easy enough to understand. The last thing they want is a wage explosion in the hiring of often highly skilled managers or engineers. But what's good for companies isn't always good for employees, and much to the surprise of some US executives, no-poach agreements are also downright illegal. Admittedly, we're not talking about people on minimum wage here. These are well-remunerated, highly skilled professionals. Yet secret handshakes behind closed doors to keep wages down are as much of an antitrust issue as cartels and price-fixing. Leon Island is MLEX's chief global antitrust correspondent. Under normal circumstances, she's in our Washington DC office, but today she joins us from Hong Kong. Hello, Leah. Hello, James. Now, firstly, let's define this issue a little better. What does the US Justice Department mean when it refers to no-poach agreements? Well, they're generally referring to one of two types of agreements. There's the no-poach agreements. These are ones in which two companies or more get together and they agree that they're not going to solicit one another's employees. So when they have a job opening, they're not going to approach employees from the other company about filling it. Or sometimes they will agree just not to hire employees from one another's companies. So even if somebody applies from the company, they won't uh, consider them in the hiring process. The other type of uh, agreement that they're looking at is wage-fixing agreements. These are ones in which two companies get together and agree that perhaps starting level salaries should be at a certain amount or raises should um, only be a certain percentage each year. And Lee, I'm guessing that what these kind of agreements have in common is that the employees don't know that there are these agreements in place, that it's all happening behind closed doors, right? Yes. I mean, these are secret agreements. So you might apply for a job at the other company and never know why you didn't hear back. And the reason you didn't hear back is because they had a no poach. Okay, now let's rewind very quickly. A Department of Justice efforts to fight no-poach agreements date back to the start of the decade. Uh, can you give us a little history on enforcement in this area? Sure. So the most famous case that the Justice Department brought was in 2010. It was a case involving some of the biggest tech companies in the world. Uh, people like Apple, Google, Intel, they had gotten together and agreed that they were not going to poach uh, high-tech engineers. These are some of the people who help create the technology um, underlying all of these fancy products. Steve Jobs was actually directly involved along with uh, senior executives at Google like Eric Schmidt. They would actually email one another to sort of enforce the agreements between the two companies when they heard that there might have been uh, HR contact from one or the other company. So you're telling me that the, the bosses themselves got involved, that Steve Jobs, may he rest in peace, that he was directly involved in this uh, in these uh, no-poach agreements? Yes, it was uh, very, very senior level companies. Uh, Steve Jobs, Eric Schmidt, Meg Whitman, who was at HP at the time. And how did this Department of Justice case actually turn out? 
So the Justice Department ended up entering into agreements with all of these companies' settlements that they promised that they wouldn't engage in this type of conduct in the future. Um, the Justice Department didn't fine anyone. In, it doesn't have a civil penalty authority, but um, a bunch of plaintiffs did sue the companies on behalf of the engineers who were impacted by this conduct. Um, that case went on for a few years, and eventually all of the companies settled for $415 million, which was then distributed to the engineers and people who were impacted. So in, in other words, the engineers were saying that as a result of these agreements, their uh, salaries, the amount of money that they were getting from these companies re remained artificially low, and therefore they sought compensation as, as a form of retribution for, for this kind of an agreement. Yes. So the argument being that they might have gotten a raise if they had um, another offer from another company. They might have been able to go back to their company and say, hey, you know, Google has made me an offer. It's, you know, $10,000 more. Would you match that? And Apple might have, but they never got that opportunity. Okay, so there's quite a lot of history behind this. What has happened on this front more recently? So in uh, October of 2015, the Justice Department said that it's going to change how it looks at these agreements. In the past, as I mentioned, these were looked at civilly. So the Justice Department entered into civil settlements with the companies like Apple and Google and Intel and didn't find them. The Justice Department said that from now on, it's actually going to bring these as criminal cases. And that means that companies would face significant financial penalties, up to $100 million, and that the Justice Department could bring criminal cases against particular individuals who are engaged in this conduct and could seek jail time of up to 10 years. So the stakes are clearly much higher. Can we assume there are now more cases set to explode? Yes. So the Justice Department has said that it has a ton of cases on this subject. They brought their first one since 2010, earlier this year in March. And that one featured two companies that build railroad engines. The companies are called Nor Bremsa and Westinghouse Airbrake Company, which is known as Wabtec. So Wabtec and Nor had an agreement that they would not try and poach each other's railroad engineers. This is a pretty specific type of engineering. There aren't that many people out there who know how to do this. And there was a third company that makes this type of technology known as Favely. So in 2015, Wabtec actually merged with Favely. And in the process of that merger is how the Justice Department came across these no-poach agreements. They were going through documents related to the merger and discovered that the HR departments had these agreements between each other. Uh, and since then, uh, plaintiffs have filed class actions on behalf of the railroad engineers who were impacted by this at both NOR and Wabtec. What's incredible about all of this is that the HR departments actually have leave a, a written trail of all of these kind of agreements. Do you feel that there's a, a sense that perhaps they didn't fully understand that these kind of arrangements were illegal? That's definitely the case. This guidance that they were going to treat no-poach agreements as criminal literally shocked the HR world. There was a woman from inside Procter & Gamble who spoke at a recent conference and described it as literally earth-shattering news to the HR community. HR folks frequently teach other people within the company about how they shouldn't price fix with their competitors, how they shouldn't engage in collusion, but apparently it didn't really occur to them that they could be engaging in similar conduct 
between each other, and that might also be a problem. So that's interesting. So the HR departments are now going to be responding to all of this by putting together some deadly PowerPoint presentations that they themselves are going to have to sit through and watch. So there's poetic (laughs) justice. Um, Have antitrust authorities anywhere else in the world looked at this issue, or or is this really just a, a US thing? So that is very interesting. I've been out here in Asia this week, and since the U.S. has changed its policy, a lot of other countries are looking at this. Japan did a study last year to see if this was a particular problem there, and they found that no poach agreements themselves weren't that common in Japan, but there were some sort of problematic contracts Um, involving freelancers and and companies, particularly in the sports and media industries. So now they're taking a look at that. Here in Hong Kong, they have also put out some guidance on HR because they themselves have had a lot of complaints about no poach agreements. We sat down with the CEO of Hong Kong's competition authority, and he said that this is an area they're keenly interested in bringing some enforcement cases in the future. Okay, so in other parts of the world, it's really more of a cultural issue. It's about the way in which contracts are signed, whereas in the U.S., we're really talking about old-fashioned, behind-closed-door agreements between uh, companies. Now, is there a suggestion in the United States that the number of uh, agreements that are about to be uh, discovered is, in fact, about to go up? Uh, Yes. So I was talking last week with a senior Justice Department official, Barry Nigro. He's the Deputy Assistant Attorney General for Civil Antitrust. And this is one of his areas of uh, interest. And he had uh, said last year when he joined the division that he was surprised at the number of no-poach investigations that the Justice Department had ongoing. And he has said that since that time, since last fall, they've even opened a lot more. He said he was really surprised at how prevalent the practice has become, that it's almost shocking how common this is in the U.S., and it's a lot more prominent than even most people would have ever guessed. And in spite of the fact that a lot of those Silicon Valley uh, tech companies that got in trouble uh, in the first wave of this uh, particular issue uh, were found to have put things in writing, you'd think, okay, then the the companies this time around are not going to be dumb enough to put these kind of agreements in writing. But that's not the case. They are putting these agreements in writing, aren't they? Yes, they are. So as I mentioned, the WAMTEC Favely one, they found in a course of a merger. Barry mentioned last week that several of the other new cases that they found have also been discovered in the context of a merger. But some of the emails from the WAMTEC Favely case were pretty shocking. The HR departments would email each other that they had a gentleman's agreement, that they didn't want to start a talent war. They said, we should be competing in the marketplace, not the hiring place. Whenever you write that there's a gentleman's agreement in an email, you probably want to think twice about that. (laughs) Leah, look, this is a fantastic issue. It's always good to probe uh, the soul of HR departments of big companies. So let's keep on doing that. And I'll uh, hopefully speak to you again very, very soon. Well, thanks for having me, James. Leah Nylon is, of course, MLEX's chief global correspondent for antitrust. And some of our coverage of no poach issues is available at our website, mlexmarketinsight.com. Or you can follow the link on the podcast page, which is where you may have gone to download this very podcast. From Melbourne, I'm James Panicki. Thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye.